wanted some shade, so <clears throat> I'm trying to fight off a cold, and so if uh, if it's bugging you the way I'm talking and stuff, then I'm, I'm really sorry. I'll try to drink more water. So let's let's pray together, Father. We we welcome you to this place, God. We know you're already here, and so we but we just welcome you, and we uh, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. It's a beautiful day, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that we have in our country, Lord. Thank you for all those that have fought to keep our uh, country free country, Lord, and, and we pray for those that are currently serving in our in our military overseas and protecting us, Lord, as a country, and just, um, Lord, we, we also pray for those who are in leadership in our country currently, trying to uh, uphold laws, policemen, uh, politicians. Father, we pray that... Um, that you'd work through them, Father, and uh, we pray that uh, you'd also keep those safe who are traveling around from our congregation, uh, visiting family, just doing vacations um, for this 4th of July weekend. We pray for safety as they travel, and um, God, right now we do ask that you speak to us, God, through your word, and um, we invite you to tweak our lives, to readjust our thinking and our perspective, Lord. Um, it's our desire to hear from you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good to see all of you here. We're second week into a message series on uh, twisting the truth. And if you've got the bulletin, you'll see there's an outline inside there. And um, today we're looking at a twist about freedom, kind of tied into freedom. And uh, we think rebellion equals freedom. You know, we didn't exactly know how to say it that way when we were kids, but around the time we were 12, 13 years old, we all kind of decided rebellion equals freedom. Because as long as we're keeping the rules, as long as, as we're doing what others ask us to do, then we're not really free, are we? And so around the teenage years, we begin to recognize that, hey, I'm free if I just bust through and rebel from the rules and from the authority. And as we grow up, that kind of thinking some, sort of morphs into an adult version of the same thing. Uh, but as adults, we understand that rebellion doesn't actually equal freedom because we know that prisons are full of people who've rebelled and they're not really free, are they? And uh, so we're smarter than that, but still, the adult version of this whole idea still carries on into our lives. It goes like this. It's basically, if I disagree with a the rule, then I can disobey it. If I disagree with the rule, I can ignore it. If I, if I disagree with the authority, then I can just disregard what they say. I'll just take it one rule at a time, one law at a time, one day at a time. And as long as nothing is too extreme, as long as it's not too irre- irrelevant, then I'll do what, what rules and I'll do what the bosses ask me to do. I'll do what the government and the laws ask me to do. As long as I agree with it, I'll do what they ask me to do. Um, this is our thinking, and it, it begins at, during the teenage years, but we end up as adults with, this, with the same thinking, and this is a twist, I think, that comes in. It creeps in subtly, and it does wreak havoc on our lives. You may not be willing to admit this in church, but everybody here, within about five minutes or less, if you think about it, you actually probably operate with this whole idea of, if I disagree, then I'm free to disobey. Here's a few examples. You know, 40 miles an hour, ah, that's stupid. It should be 55 miles an hour right here, you know. Uh, 25 in the school zone, that's ridiculous. Those kids are faster than adults, you know. We should be able to fly through these, you know, or 
65 right here. This should be 70. What happened to the good old days when it was 80 miles an hour on this highway? I remember back then. I mean, we start thinking about these rules and we begin to think, you know, I, don't, I, I disagree with it. So therefore, I'm free to just disregard those rules. We've all done it. We evaluate things rule by rule. We look at our taxes. You know, when it's tax time, if you do your taxes on your own and you do TurboTax, you're kind of thinking through things and you're thinking, you know, that should be a deduction. That should be a deduction. That, you know, all these things. God would even agree that these things should be deductions. And so I don't understand why our government doesn't agree. And so it's easy to just think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some things in there that, that maybe are a little the gray areas here and, and I'm going to call these things deductions and so we, we start working with that idea about if I disagree I'll just kind of do my own thing here curfew you know curfew if you're a teenager and you, you're, you have a curfew and you know maybe it's 10 o'clock and you're thinking man that's lame that's it should be midnight or it, you know why should I even have a curfew you know my parents can they can text me and find out where I'm at at any given point um, but there's just many, many, many examples of this whole idea of, of when we disagree with something. We just think we're free to disobey. And we started this series looking at, last week, looking at how truth gets twisted just enough to where we begin to actually believe these things. And so this is one of those twists where we begin to think, as long as it makes sense to me that I'm free to do it. And, but th- this whole idea will really do tremendous damage in, in our lives because what we looked at last week is there's an invisible world that we cannot see. There's an invisible world that we can't see, but it impacts our visible world. And it's kind of like germs. Last week we said it's like germs that, you know, you can't see germs, but you know they have this great impact physically on our lives. In the same way, this invisible world impacts our relationships, it impacts our decisions, it impacts the way we do everything in life. It impacts our worldview. And so it's very, very important to understand how this invisible world looks. And if, if you don't believe me that there is an invisible world, then I'd encourage you just to look back in your life at some of the decisions you've made. And I can do this in my own life. I look back at some of the decisions and I think, man, what was I thinking? You know, I, I had... You know, I was with some friends, or I was at a party, or if I, or I was, you know, just, I seemed like I was out of my mind. I checked out of reality for a moment, because we're all capable of having moments of clarity and, and sanity, and then all of a sudden we have these insane moments where we do things that we're like, what was I thinking? Was I in a fog? Or what's happening is, it's easy for things to get twisted just slightly to where we're deceived very quickly. And... Last week we looked at the scriptures and Jesus, what he did, John chapter 8, Jesus, he, he calls out the source of this deception and he names him as the devil. And he's the one that's behind the, the invisible world that we can't see. He's behind the, the unseen world wreaking havoc on, havoc on the visible world. And Jesus said about the devil, he, well one, Jesus actually believed in the devil, and he said that the devil is a murderer. John chapter 8 talks about how devil's a murderer from the beginning, and that his means for, for murder, because he's trying to destroy all of human life. So the means that he uses for destroying human life is deception. He's trying to lie to us. He's trying to get us to buy into things just enough to where we mess up our lives. And he does it in such a subtle way as to disguise the fact that he's even involved. So that we wouldn't begin to take him into account.
account and add this perspective into our thinking. And, and you might be thinking, you know, that sounds kind of weird that a modern person would actually believe that a devil exists. But, you know, Jesus, it's really a matter of, of asking yourself, am I going to take Jesus at his word? Am I going to take the writers of, of the New Testament at their word? Because they believed in the devil. They believed he was a murderer and he was a liar. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to take four things that I believe the enemy has twisted just enough to where we're paying a price in our society. And it explains a lot of things about history as well. And so today what I want to look at is this big subject of authority because this is really where everything began. And, and I'm like you. When it comes to authority, I'm all for authority, especially when I'm in charge, right? You know, when you're the authority, authority's great, right? You know, you know, I think it's a great idea. You know, I was, I'm, I'm married, and I love being the head of my home. You know, my wife, she's, she was raised in a home where her, her parents understood that the wife submit to the husband, and so I love the fact that I get to be a husband. You know, and then, and I, as you know, children, the verse says, children, obey your parents. That's one of my favorite verses, and I, fortunately, I get to be a dad, you know, and that's great. It works out great, you know, because that works in my favor. You know, I love to be in charge of an organization. I mean, I think we would all agree that authority is great. When, when we're the authority. Another time when authority is great is when authority supports our decisions. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, I like to be able to call the police. I don't want to be chased by the police. You know, I like to see the blue lights ahead of me so I can get there faster. I don't want them behind me, you know, pulling me over. I, I like authority when they support my decisions or when I'm the one in charge. But, but I, I'm just like you. I, I like authority as long as it supports me, as long as it helps me out. But when it comes to rules, our first response when it comes to authority, when we're under authority, our first response is typically what? The word what? What are they asking me to do? What do you want me to do? Whether it's our parents, whether it's your boss, whether it's the government. Our first line, or our first response to authority, authority because of this twist is to evaluate the what. And we begin to think through the rule and what they're asking me to do. And we think, you know what, that just doesn't make sense. That seems like a lame rule. And so I'm just going to disregard this rule altogether. Because we're very focused on the what. And this is the twist, and you see it in your outline. The twist is this. If I disagree, then I can disobey. And if I disagree with the what, then I'm free to just disregard the what without any consequence. And I don't feel guilty about it. I don't go to bed at night worrying about it. We, we This is our thinking. I, I, and this, this is a twist in our thinking that we need to we need to spot because this has real dangerous implications in our life. Not surprisingly though, when you open up the scripture you find a little bit of a different paradigm than, than what I'm describing here. And God, He really challenges this thinking throughout the pages of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. And so as we look at these verses, I'm just going to let you know up front that some of you are probably going to push back on some of these verses, and that's, that's okay. I'm okay with that. <clears throat> but if you have your Bible, let's, let's look at this together. It's Romans chapter 13, and, and I've also printed the, the verses in the outline so you can follow along in the outline. But 
We're going to be looking in the book of Romans. Romans is the sixth book. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans. The sixth book in the New Testament. And what makes these verses so powerful is not just the fact that they're in the Bible, but it's the context. It's the setup of these verses that makes them so powerful. So Romans chapter 13, this is just an unbelievable passage to, to read in our day and age because of the twist here. And what gives these words credibility, again, is the context. Because this is a book written to, written to Christians in the city of Rome. Okay, I want to tell you a little bit about the city of Rome. There were not many Christians in Rome in the first century. It was not a good place to live if you were a Christian to live inside Rome. The emperor at the time, his name was Nero. And if you know anything about history, he was a famous emperor, but he did not like Christians. He hated Christians. And uh, so this whole Christian thing in Rome, Nero, is just not a good mix. He burnt the city of Rome and he blamed it on Christians. He burnt Christians at the stake. He lit up his own gardens with burning Christians in wax. He fed Christians to lions. You know, he, Nero was just this pagan emperor and Christianity did not fare well under his leadership. And so he, he was a terrible maniac. He even killed parts of his family. And, but he's the guy that is in charge of the government when these verses are written. And that's what makes these, this passage so powerful to understand. Okay? So with that in mind, Romans chapter 13, Paul says this. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And you have to time out right there. Wait, what are you saying, Paul? I mean, can you just make this blanket statement? You've got to submit yourself to the governing authorities. Do you even know what the rules are like here in Rome? Paul, how can you say? You don't, you don't even live here. And Paul's saying, you see, you think it's all about the individual rules. You think it's about the what. And so you're trying to dissect the individual rules. And he's saying, it's not about the what. This is all about the who. And you need to submit to the governing authorities. And so a little more information he goes and says, For there is no authority that, I'm sorry, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Again, a huge statement. We almost need to pause here and allow that to sink in because that's a little unbelievable. There's no authority except that which God has established. I mean, that's enough to just make you want to rip these pages out of the Bible. And just to say, these things are first century. Because we have a little hard time with some of the rules that we're asked to live by in our, in our society. And think about in their society back in Rome, where they were punished for being Christians. He continues in verse 1, because he knew we would be like, what are you talking about? And he repeats this thought a third time. And he says, the authorities that, have, that exist have been established by God. They've been established by God. Nero, essentially, he's been established by God. The one that's killing you guys off, the one that's punishing you, he's been established by God. Now, I see the, the puzzled eyebrows on many faces, and that's why this could be so offensive. And the twist makes a lot more sense. When we just don't agree, when we, when we disagree with the way the direction of the leadership is going, we think, I'm just going to disregard leadership. Paul's saying, that shouldn't be the case. Now, Paul, you must be thinking religious authority, right? Like you should, you know, everybody should submit to the religious authorities, the priests, the popes, the preachers. That's not even the direction he's going in. 
he's talking about governmental authority. He's talking about leadership. But this whole principle, really, the Bible teaches this. That God always works through human channels of authority. He always works through human authority. Good human authority, bad human authority. Religious human authority, pagan human authority. Believing human authority, unbelieving human authority. God works through channels of human authority. And I'm going to give you some examples in just a bit. So what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, look, it's not about the who, and this is in your outline. It's not just about the, I'm sorry, about the what. It's about who. We need to understand this. We don't need to just keep dissecting the rules, but we need to understand someone is behind all of this. Someone, God is trying to do something through all of this. And so it's not just okay to disregard the rules when we disobey with them. And... Um, but again, this is scary because essentially, by putting these issues in the same line with God, you're, you're, you're making what we do, Paul, Paul, you're making what we do in life a spiritual issue. You're making what we do in home, when we relate to the leadership structure that God has established in home, Paul, you're making that a spiritual issue. You're making following the laws of the land a spiritual issue. You're making what we do at school a spiritual issue. Paul is really getting after something here that, that, is, a, that is a biblical principle that flows throughout the Bible. Look at verse 2. He goes on and says, Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. We, we start thinking, God, I'm not going to do this because, because, because. You know, but God, I want you to know I love you so much. I love your son Jesus. I love being spiritual. I love reading the Bible. I love going to church. I love all the spiritual things. But don't you agree with me that, that the what here just seems a little irrelevant? And so I'm just going to ignore it flat out. And Paul, what he's saying here in this verse is, You have been deceived in your thinking. And this, you've fallen for the twist. This is the first twist that happened in humanity. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and Satan, he tempted them, and he said, Hey, 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 whoa, wait a second. Let's not focus on the who, let's focus on the what. And so since then, we begin to focus on the rules themselves and disregard who's behind the leadership structure. We begin to nitpick the rules, and that's what the enemy did in the garden. He said, what did God ask you to do? You know, what tree oh, does that? And then Adam and Eve, they bought into the twist. Essentially, Adam said, well, now that you think about it, now that we've examined the rule, no, you're right, I think that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, so we're going to disregard the rule. And, and Adam and Eve broke through a boundary and sin entered the world. And we have followed suit in the way that we do our life. But our thinking has been impacted by this twist in a, in a huge way. Because we want to focus on the what rather than the who. And this is in your outline. Our attitude and response to human authority, it's a reflection of our attitude and response to our Father in Heaven. The way that we respond to human authorities, policemen, government officials, principals, teachers, the leaders of the home, the way that we respond to them is a reflection of our attitude and our response to our Father in Heaven. You cannot be out from underneath human authorities 
and say, I'm still under I'm still under God at the same time. I'm still operating under his authority because this is an authority structure that he's placed over us. We want to look at this issue and separate the worlds. And, and Paul's saying, you can't do that. You're twisted in your thinking. You think it's about the what. It's about the who. And so, verse 3, he goes on. It gets a little scarier. Verse 3 says, for rules... <coughs> For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. It says, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Now, you want to listen to this next verse, especially if you're a government official, or if you're a company president, or you own a company, or you're a leader in some area of life. It says, for he, speaking of the leader, the authority, for he is God's servant to do you good. He doesn't always do you good, but that's the intent. For he is God's servant to do you good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now here's a big heads up. Your boss, your boss who is totally non-religious, that it's not even funny. Scripture is saying here that he is God's servant to carry out some things, to accomplish some things in, in your life. And this is, again, our, our thinking is twisted, so we disregard this altogether. We think, that guy is a knucklehead. That guy does things to please himself, and maybe, and maybe he does. But here's the point. Our authorities, our authorities are God's agents in, in our lives. In your, in your outline, is, that's the point. Our authorities are God's agents. They're trying to accomplish something in your life. And you're thinking, uh-uh, not my boss. Oh yeah, even your boss. And he doesn't even believe in God, maybe. It doesn't matter to God. He still works through human channels of authority. Now this, again, this we have a hard time with this. If you're a teenager, you might be thinking, are you telling me that my father, my father who doesn't take God seriously, who doesn't, who, I don't remember the last time he stepped foot in a, in a, in a church, are you telling me that he's God's agent in my life? That's what God is trying to say here. That human authority, that these are agents in our life. It has nothing to do with religion. Because he's writing, Paul is writing this to Christians. Think back to the context. He's writing this to Christians living in Rome who were suffering under a pagan emperor. And he's saying, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. God works in this way. And to rebel against the authority under which God has placed us is to rebel against God himself. And that is a, that is a sobering thought, isn't it? And you might be thinking, I've never heard this before. It's because of the twist. It's because we've disregarded some of this in our thinking. Paul takes it to the next level. Look at verse 5. It says, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, this is just the right thing to do. When you untwist this twist, and when you find yourself, you're actually accountable. You're not just accountable to the federal government. You're not just accountable to your principal, to your parents, to your husband, to, to your boss. This is simply a matter of, of conscience. And it doesn't mean that these people are necessarily godly, but they're agents of God in our life. 
It means that when you're taking a test at school and you think, you know what, I can get away with it, I can cheat, and nobody is going to find out. The truth is that God is watching. And, and He is looking at our response to human authority. This is a matter of conscience. It's not just a matter of, can I cheat on the educational system and my teacher? It's a matter of, we're trying to cheat on God. We're trying to lie to God. Whenever we try to go around human authority, we're trying to pull one on God himself. Because he's working through these different channels. And God is saying, look, if you're going to follow me, then you need to, you need to understand this principle. It's, it's not just a matter of keeping rules if you agree with them. It's a matter of understanding that I'm trying to do something. And I'm going to give you some examples before this message wraps up to, to illustrate in the, in the Bible. But we're accountable to God. He has placed us under authority. Christians in those days were under the authority of Rome. They were told to, to follow the leadership of these, of these pagan leaders. Then he gives this illustration. I don't know why he picks this illustration or application, but look at verse 6. And again, this is, a, this is a tough one. He says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Paul, are you crazy? They're Romans. You know, you don't even live here, Paul. I mean, I don't think anybody anywhere in the world goes, I think we have got the perfect tax structure. I mean, do you think that, anybody? We've got the perfect tax structure. I, you know, I think it's perfectly fine and fair. Matter of fact, I think I should be paying more. You know, none of us think that way. We try to pay as little as possible. And if we find a loophole where we think we can get by, you know, we disregard the rule. And I'm not trying to meddle here. Paul actually brings this up. Paul's trying to give an example because this puts us in a vulnerable position where we have to entrust ourselves to God himself. And say, God, I don't know what you're trying to do through these characters, through these rules, but I trust that you've put me here and you're trying to do something in my life. But Paul brings up this whole situation about taxes. And um, if you think the tax structure is, it seems a little unfair to, to you, um, I assure you, if you don't pay your taxes, you know what you get here in our country? A letter, right? A letter. You get a letter mailed to you saying, you know, pay up. If, if you didn't pay your taxes in Rome, you know what, you, what happens to you in the scripture first century? You get a visit. So a letter is much better than a visit, right? And what would happen is if you don't pay your taxes, then they'd sell your wife in the first century, they'd sell your wife, they'd sell your kids, they'd sell your property off, and um, and then you might go, and some of you are smiling, like, yeah, that might not be a bad idea, don't pay my taxes, and, you know, <laughs> so I'll raise my kids, you know, but, <laughs> even if you paid your taxes, and they say, okay, in the first century, you go to the Roman leaders, okay, here, I'm paying up. Then they say, great, you're free to go. And you say, well, yeah, but you sold off my wife, my kids, my property. And they say, yeah, but you're free to go. That's done. We're in a very, very different system here in our country. But that's first century Rome. This is modern day. And, and, and you're, you know, you're thinking, or our thinking really is different. But Christians did not fare well in that system. And yet they're told to obey the leadership structure and the, and the tax structure over them. And because to try to cheat the government was essentially to try to cheat God. And, and so... 
the question comes up in our thinking here. Here's one question you might be asking. What are you saying? Should we never question authority? Should we never question the direction of our government or our leadership or all of that? But what about, what if a dad asks you, what if my dad says, hey, I want you, son, to go rob a bank? Should I always follow authority? Should I always do what they say? The answer to this kind of dilemma, or even in this principle, because it's a powerful principle, and God himself... He provides protection for when leadership goes demonic and goes in the wrong direction. Uh, but in the scripture you see examples of Jesus, Daniel, the Apostle Paul, that, that when an authority abused their authority or they went outside the limits of the law, you simply would appeal to the next authority. You would just keep appealing, appealing, appealing to the next authority and God would protect through those situations. And... <clears throat> Sometimes people would even appeal around the legal system and appeal to God and God would come through in the scripture. You've got examples of this with Daniel. You have examples of that with Jesus, with Paul. And, you know, but with all of this in mind, you be, we begin to think about it and we think, well, but still, you know, there's just some things I totally don't agree with. They may not be unlawful, but they just seem so wrong to me. They seem so unfair to me. And those are the issues we need to be careful of, especially because God is trying to do something through that. We sang a song a little while ago. It said in the beginning, I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. Think about those two lines. I'm not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. That, that implies that there's some things that he's doing right now in our lives, even through ungodly, possibly ungodly human authority, that we don't understand. But he's willing something because he's planning something. He's trying to put something together in our lives. This is, this is a true, that, that, that song we sing is absolutely true. God may be trying to do something through these human authorities who are agents in our life. And, and we should be scared to death to get out from under human authority because this is an authority structure that God himself has established. There's protection when you, you know, for those of you who are protected from the sunlight, there's really a picture here of authority. Authority is like protection in your life. When you step out from under the authority, you open yourself up to the attacks and to the elements and to problems. And we feel the impact of the twist without even realizing it. <clears throat> here's, some, here's some things to just end on and to think through. If you think back to, to Egypt and the, the people of Israel, here, here's one example of this. Israel was, was held captive as, as a nation under Egypt, under horrible taskmasters. They were under Pharaoh who did not believe in the Jewish God. They found themselves suffering, being beaten. And if, if, if you or I would have, would have shown up in that day and age, you know, and, and seeing what was going on, we might have said, God, they don't need to obey these, these taskmasters. They're not godly authorities. They don't recognize you, God. They need to rise up and free themselves right now. I mean, God, do something. And, and God would say, I am doing something. I'm creating a nation here. See, he was building the nation of Israel through suffering, through hardship, through trouble. We don't realize when we look into situations like that that God may be up to something through my boss, through my 
through my husband, through my parents, through my president, through my governor. God is trying to do something through these, through these individuals in authority. And if we had shown up when Jesus was on trial, you know, what would you have thought? If Jesus is on trial. He's about to die. God, you've got to do something. Come on, step in and save your son from what he's about to go through. You know, the Pharisees, they've abdicated their religious authority. They've taken advantage of the system. They're way outside of Old Testament laws here. They've trumped up false charges. They've got people that are lying to accuse Jesus, to put him on trial. And now Jesus is finding himself under Pilate, a man who is, who is afraid of the people that he's leading. Of course he's going to do what they're asking. Jesus is under the Roman government. God, your son, he's under two unjust authority structures who are in agreement to kill him. God, you've got to step in and do something right now. And God would say, I am. What are you doing, God, through this? I'm saving the world. See, there's things like that that have happened in the pages of Scripture where God is trying to accomplish a much bigger purpose through things that don't make any sense from our limited perspective. That's just two examples, but God can constantly work through human authority. God, could you even use Rome and the lying leaders in Jerusalem? Yeah, I can do that. I'm God. He's saying, like, I'm not limited to doing things the way you do things. I'm in charge of the invisible world, and I can create circumstances to better the situation in this visible world that you're living in. But you're going to have to trust me on the timing and on the method and on the details that we're going through. I'm up to something, God is saying, through your screwy school system and through your, your strange family and your parents that do things in a way that seems so antiquated. I'm up to something through their leadership. God can do something through them. You know, if you're at work and you, and you just kind of pull out because you don't like the what... You know, again, we need to remember, it's not about that, it's about the who. And there's a sense of, in which, if you pull out from, be, be, from under the authority, you're somewhat, according to the scriptures, you're somewhat on your own, unprotected. You find yourselves in a very, very vulnerable position by stepping out from under authority. When you understand it, you want to stay, you want to stay under authority. When you understand it, when, when you don't. When it makes sense, when it doesn't. When they're godly, when they're not. This, this twist is powerful. And the enemy, he's found a way to deceive us to where we don't even spot this one. It's so subtle. And we're going to leave this place and so many are going to disregard because we disobey. Or we disagree. And so we're going to disregard what, what scripture says here. Because we just think, you know what? That's old school. <laughs> That's... 2,000 years ago, but this is different now. And I'm different. And my circumstances and my life is different. But I'm just saying, and the scripture's trying to get at, this life that we live is a spiritual issue. Your response to the rules at work, that's a spiritual issue. Your response to your husband or your parents, that's a spiritual issue. Your response to the authority at school, that's, that's again, that's a spiritual issue. And you cannot separate those. You can't split those out because your attitude and your response to the authorities here are a reflection of your attitude and response to your Father who's in heaven. And He's paying attention. And so this is a twist that 
I shared this first because this one really sets us up for some of the ones we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Next week we're going to look at um, the whole issue of sex. Because there's a major twist on the issue of sex that our society has pretty much decided, you know what, I just disagree with that, so I'm going to do what I want in this whole department. I understand God has some rules on that, but I, I don't agree with it. And so we're going to look at that issue next week, and, and I hope you'll, you'll come because... This, the issue of purity and sex is a much, much deeper issue um, than other choices. Spirit, it's a much more spiritual issue in nature. The, the scripture, it, it just magnifies this issue and talks about the way that there are deep scars when we disregard God's thinking on this area. So I hope you'll come and join us as we look at that. But let, let's pray together as the, um, as the, actually not as the band comes up because we're going to have a testimony. So I'd like to pray and uh, Tess, I'd invite you to come up. Father, let's, uh, we, again, we just want to pause. We thank you for, we thank you for your word, God, and, and, and Lord, sometimes we encounter things in, in your scripture that that just are right up in our face and are so challenging, but they're exactly what we need to hear at, at, at the moment we're in. God, I know many of us here are, are under bosses and leaders who who do things that we just really, really struggle with. And God, we're finding it very hard to follow the leadership that you've placed over us. But God, we ask for the strength to not rebel. We pray that you'd help us to stay under leadership, Father, until you remove the leadership or move us to different places. <clears throat> Father, I pray that we would um, we would wait on you, that we'd recognize them, that we'd also, um, we'd look back after we see what you were trying to do through those agents in our life and we thank you for the, for the, the lessons you're teaching us, the ways you're growing us, Lord. We pray, uh, I pray your blessing on all of our lives as we try to um, rely on you as we remain under authority. In Jesus' name, amen.